Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. You can be seated. Let's say thank you to the worship team for leading us to focus on the, on the Lord. That's right, you can clap. It's okay. <laughs> to focus on the Lord and, and the truths about him and how he's working in our lives. Also, I want to welcome those who are listening to the podcast. It's great to have you joining us, and we trust that uh, the preaching of God's Word will be a great blessing to you today. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about worship. Remember, we went through the whole worship service and talked about uh, what God's intent is for those things. And we said that when we get to the preaching time, if, if we aren't careful, it's easy for us to kind of sit back down and say, okay, we're done participating. Now we become passive, right? And, and listen... And we said that that's not the way we should do that part. We should continue to be actively engaged in worshiping God, you know, listening for the Lord to speak to us from his word. Uh, and, and so, you know, almost having an ongoing conversation with the Lord, even as the preaching is going on. And uh, because the preaching is such an important part of our worship, because it is a time when God speaks to us from his word, uh, I'm really, really careful about who I allow to come up here and preach to you, because it really, really matters what goes on here. Um, so our guest speaker today, I have utmost confidence in him and God's working in his life. Uh, Ken and Shirley Gimming, Glenda and I met almost 40, 40 years ago, 39 years it ago. It seems like a whole nother century ago, know, doesn't it? it does, like yes. a long, long time ago. Well, century, you might be that old. I'm <laughs> not that old for a century. But, <laughs> uh, Anyway, so uh, we were in the church. Ken was uh, a youth pastor there and then became senior pastor there. He's there for 31 years. And um, actually probably longer now because you kind of grew up around there, didn't you? Yeah. As far as I'm being just... a pastor, 31 some odd years. And uh, that, God really used that church in our lives, Glenda's in my life, as we were developing and preparing for the ministry. And so about 10 years ago, uh, God led them up, uh, back up here. And he's uh, at Boston Baptist College now. He's the vice president of student services and, I think more importantly, a professor. Yeah. Uh, teaching the, the, the ministry students there. I'm teaching a course on heaven, a biblical perspective of heaven this semester. It's, it's an incredible, I want to go there. I'm just telling you. It's just like, That's I, I would love to go to heaven. Yes. I think if we all knew what awaited us as believers, we'd be hard-pressed to stay here, don't you think? <laughs> well, I'm just, it's just kind of boiling out of me, sorry. That's okay. No, okay. that's good. Uh, but anyway, so what I, what I know about Ken, my experience with Ken, is that he loves God and he loves people. And those two things put together with the Spirit of God, very powerful things. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say to us today. Thanks, Pastor Walt. Appreciate you and Glenda in our lives. Um, it's, it's amazing how when you know the Lord, you have lifelong friends that are scattered all over the world. Isn't that a really incredible thing? And uh, thank you so much for inviting me to be here on Mother's Day. I'm glad I had a mother, aren't you? Uh, if you didn't have one, you'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't you? Uh, my, I, my mother gave me my, my brothers. I have an identical twin brother. He is so good-looking. You cannot believe it. Uh, we were womb-mates for a while, and we, we are thick as thieves. I've got a younger brother, Mark, that's 16 months younger than us, and I'm telling you, we have golf outings together, brothers' golf outings, and very competitive. We are thick as thieves, and then we have a crazy, mentally insane sister who's three and a half years older than us and thinks she runs our lives still, you know, because uh, she was like the de facto babysitter when we were kids, you know. But that's kind of my family. Um, I love my 
my mom. She's, she's 89 right now, uh, and we like to be with her. We were there for last Thanksgiving. We're, we're going to be there again for one of the holidays, at least this year, and probably in the summer some. And uh, I just love being around my mom. She's, my mom is wicked smart, isn't she? Just really incredible. In fact, she, she should have been a preacher. I don't know how that didn't work out, but uh, she's a very good speaker and spoke for, to thousands of women when she, when she was a kid. And I, I hope I learned some of my communicative skills, communicative skills from her. So we're going to talk about moms today. Does that sound fun? Um, Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 1, if you want to kind of meander toward that, we'll actually have our text in Exodus chapter 2. Um, my, my grandkids, and that's the best part of being a parent, is you get to be a grandparent sometime in your life. Am I right about that? I don't know how it is, but when my grandkids come in and they say, Papa, I mean, it's like I get a star for just existing. How long has it been since that's happened? It's like you again? Come on, literally, you're four minutes late, you know? But they love me. And my, my granddaughter, Hattie, who's three now, uh, she comes and sits on my lap, and almost, almost at the start, it can't be more than 30 minutes, she'll say, Papa, tell me a pooky story. And I say, well, how pooky do you want it? She goes, pooky. And so we get, the, we get the blanket and put it over top of us, you know. And I said, do you want somebody to die? No, no, not that pooky. And so our story, if you want like a feel-good mother's sermon. That's not going to happen today because this is the pooky Mother's Day story, okay? In fact, if you've never seen this story, you're going to have to see it for yourself. I think it's on page 61. Yeah, there you go. Page 61 in your Bibles. And, uh, and it's a, just an incredible story. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and this is the second chapter of that book. And um, while you're, while you're turning to the second chapter, let me tell you about what happened in the first chapter. It starts off telling you about the, the life of Moses, and it, it begins to give you kind of a history of where Israel is at that moment. And it seems that they, they, there was a king that didn't know um, Joseph, and he begins to make Israel a slave nation, and they become heavy taskmasters, and they push them and and finally, still Israel is growing. When they finally leave, uh, in about 120 years, they're over a million people. They are a force to be reckoned with. And Moses is showing you kind of like how he came, how, what was his birth story. And so Pharaoh decides that we're going to do some ethnic cleansing. Isn't that crazy? In our lifetime, in my lifetime, we had Serbia, 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 Herzegovina, and they had that ethnic cleansing. We've got Rwanda. I mean, it's still happening in our world. Can you believe that? It, it's, it was common in that day, too. And so he said, I'll tell you what, we're going to, we'll slow this, this growth down. Anytime a Hebrew woman has a baby boy, just kill him the moment he comes out of the womb. And so this Pharaoh, who remains in this kind of gallows humor from the Bible, they don't tell you Pharaoh's name, but they tell you the two midwives' names that he assigns this horrific task. And that's because these two women fear God. And her name is, uh, one of them's name is Shura, and the other one is Pua. And they, they have their names in the Bible. And we think that this Pharaoh is Tutmosis II. Here's a little fun fact. He's the only Pharaoh of the 16th dynasty that 
is that has boils and some kind of rash on him because, you know, the Egyptians were great at embalming people and they, they don't know how he got these, but I just think, I think I probably know, don't you? <laughs> so here we have, here we have them and, and these, so these midwives are maybe just a little slow getting around to the birth and the baby's already born and they come back to Pharaoh and they say, you know, man, these, these Hebrew women, they are incredible. They have these babies faster than our midwives can even get there. And they're not like these Egyptian women. They're, they're soft, you know, those Egyptian women. And Pharaoh said, well, fine. Uh, it's not having an effect. Here's the deal. Just kill any boy that you see that's about that age and pitch him in the Nile River. Just so I'm, That's pretty brutal, isn't it? And that's where our story picks up on. Do you know what? This is probably the most scary time to be born in the history of mankind if you're a Jew, especially if you're a boy. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime that someone's going to have a baby, it's like, oh, you know, they're, they're pregnant, they're going to have a baby. What do you want, a boy or a girl? It doesn't matter as long as they're healthy. Isn't that what we're going to say? In that day, you'd say, I hope, I hope, I hope it's a girl. And it probably went something like this. The midwife delivers the baby, and she goes, it's it's a boy. This baby doesn't have long to live. So you got to hear the story. Let's read it, okay? Here we go. Exodus chapter 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So, Levi. so they're both uh, from the priestly tribe. And they have two kids already before this birth. One is the oldest sister of what will be Moses. And her name is Miriam. And a good Jewish name, isn't it, even to this day. And then another good Jewish name, the middle boy, is named Aaron. Uh, so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, maybe another way of saying that is that he was healthy. Actually, there are three times in the, in the Bible, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is making his defense to the Sanhedrin, he, is, he uses this same illustration about Jochebed and Amram defending uh, the birth of Moses. And then also in Hebrews chapter 11, in what we call the Hall of Faith, where it, it talks about the parents of Moses who moved with fear and in faith uh, hid Moses in the bulrushes. Isn't that a pretty cool thing? That it's, it's already, it saturates the Bible. So, verse 3. Uh, but when they could no longer hide him, he took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, uh, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister took a far, stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Wow. When the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked on the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, Aw, I'm adding this in there. Aw, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Can I have him? I, it's a stray. Nobody's, he's been abandoned. Can I have? Well, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? This is, this is Miriam. She came right up and said, to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? Well, that's a pretty good idea. The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go! So the maiden went, called the child's mother, 
Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I'll give you your wages. So Pharaoh pays Moses' mother to, to uh, take care of him. Don't you wish you got that, moms, for that? Uh, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Oh. So she called his name Moses, saying, Behold, I drew him out of the water. Moses is a uh, good Egyptian name, Tutmos II. Uh, Tutmos II, they, that means it's a connection to the water. And so Moses, when you call somebody Mo, you're actually referring to the Nile River. Isn't that crazy? So, and the Nile was something that they worshipped. So Moses got an Egyptian name. Finally, after three months, the child, this little boy, has a name. And his name is for all posterity, Moses. Well, um, moms, you know, we have one of the most difficult calling for you to do that there ever was in the days that we live. 24-7, you're protecting your kids. But I don't think there's any mother here that both has to hide their baby for fear of death and raise them at the same time. It's a pretty tough world in Moses' day, isn't it? Well, that, comes, that brings me to my very first big idea. We've got three big ideas this morning. You can see them right there. Do what you can do to protect your children. She hides him for three months. Just like in the days of Moses, we live in days where it's dangerous to be a child. And in our world, we, we take children's lives before they ever are born sometimes. Shirley and I are highly, greatly involved in uh, the pro-life movement in Boston. And although it's not a, a popular thing in Massachusetts, it still honors God. Amen. So uh, I think that sometimes our, we take more concern about kitchen doors and cabinets being kid-friendly than our entire society about kids. It certainly isn't Christian kid-friendly. And the values that they're taught in music or in uh, TV or movies or the popular, popular culture are ingrained in our kids without us ever knowing about them. And let's face it, sometimes what they're taught in schools is absolutely the opposite of what they need to learn. And the sad truth is many in our society don't have the ch our children's best interest in mind. But I want you to know we should do whatever it takes to keep our kids safe. Um, that's, what, that's what Jochebed had. Somebody said that it takes about 16 weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history. Somebody said that you learn how to be a mother by instinct. Somebody never took a three-year-old shopping. Somebody said good mothers never raise their voices. Well, somebody never came out the back door just when their kid hit a golf ball through your back neighbor's w window, right? Somebody said you don't need education to be a, a mother. Well, somebody's never helped their kid do fourth grade math. Somebody said that you can't love your fifth child as much as you loved your first one. Well, somebody hasn't had five kids. I heard there was a lady here that had 11 kids. Have you met this woman last hour? Wow. Somebody said... The mother can find all the answers to her child-rearing questions in books. 
Somebody never had a child stuff beans up their nose <laughs> or in their ears. I met a guy who was older than me, and when he was a kid, he stuffed rocks up his nose and it killed his olfactory nerves. Is, this, is it a scary world? My son-in-law says his sole job of a three-year-old is to keep himself from, keep, her, keep that girl from killing herself in 30 seconds. That's it. You just literally cannot take your eye. Anybody have any small kids? You're just like, wow, it is a dangerous world. So my last one here is that somebody said a mother's job is never done. It, her, a mother's job is done when her child leaves home. Well, somebody never had grandchildren. Well, our attack on, on children is not as overt as Amram and Jochebed, but it still is very much a big deal in our lives. Guard what your children see on television. When they're young, choose their friends. Know their kids', their kids families. Um, it's much easier for parents if their kids are playing with good kids that are not destructive. Do whatever it takes to make your kids safe. Would you just repeat that with me? Do whatever it takes to make your kids safe. Well, I'm not trying to be intrusive, but I think it's our responsibility. And I think intrusive, if you want to call it that, I'm okay with that. Giving our children direction isn't intrusive. Helping them to develop skills that are going to benefit them for the rest of their life is not intrusive. Teaching them to eliminate bad relationships before they ever begin, that's not intrusive. It's our job. We need to do that to protect our children. Our, my second big idea then is you can do, do whatever you can to develop, to develop the best plan. You know, when we last left the story, the baby was in a basket covered with tar floating in the Nile where there were crocodiles. Clearly, Moses' mother didn't have many options. But this isn't just any mother. Put yourself in that scenario if you're a mom. <laughs> They're going to kill your baby. What do you do? Just say, okay. I wouldn't, would you? I'd hide that baby. I'd come up with his most, the most creative ways. Now, what's going to happen is, Jochebed's going to have to go off in the field and start working. These, you know, she's had this baby in three or four weeks. She's, she's out there. What's going to happen with this? It's going to die just because of that. So she's got to come. She's probably very creative to hide this baby. If she takes that baby out in the field, that could be the end of it. Maybe Miriam's watching the baby. I'm not sure. But I'm telling you, she just didn't give up. She started working a plan. Her and Amram developed this plan. And in this, she took this, this baby and I think she did it intentionally. The Bible doesn't say. Um, but she took some papyrus, and then she took some asphalt or pitch, and she put it around the papyrus. Now, I don't know if you know what papyrus is, but it's the very reeds that are in the Nile, and that's where the first paper was ever made. They take this reed, they, they pound it out while it's got liquid in it, and then they weave these strands together, and they, keep, and they bleach it out, and it holds together because it's got some kind of a little sticky substance, and you can actually make paper with it. They, some of the oldest manuscripts are made. But I'm telling you, it's, it's not as strong as this paper right here. Uh, it's it's going to be thick and, and pasty, and it, it would really be a tough call to put your three-month-old baby in a basket made out of paper. Am I, am I right on that? Oh, 
I got to tell you this, uh, this the professor had me. They just this last year found the oldest manuscript, uh, a fragment, manuscript fragment of the New Testament in the face of a sarcophagus in Egypt. It was found to be in 86 to 96 AD. Just a matter of, I mean, the, the book of Revelation was written in 90 AD. So, I mean, it's contemporary with the New Testament. Is that pretty cool? That gives me like goosebumps, you know? Um, there are over 5,500 copies of, of the Bible. Isn't that incredible? Uh, anyway, I'm getting off of that. They have, this, they have this baby, and here's what I think happened. She said to Miriam, I want you to literally follow the rules, and I want you to put the baby in the Nile. So she carefully threw the baby in the Nile among the reeds. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are crocodiles in the Nile. That would not be my first pick to go swimming. But, you know, maybe, we've, maybe it's been a while since you've been swimming and bathing in any river because you're very familiar with indoor plumbing. Am I right about that? There are still people today, though, that swim and bathe in the Nile. You know how they do it? I've, I've seen this happen on YouTube where they will take reeds or sticks and they will, they'll create a little zone with sticks. And then if those sticks start to move, they know to get out of the water really quick. Now, what would happen in Egypt probably is because Egypt was the life source of the entire nation of Egypt, uh, they had reeds, these cattail kind of things all over. And so what they do is they would go into these reeds and they would cut out a swath of those and then that would kind of become their, their bathtub and all these reeds would be around so that if something was moving through those reeds, they'd know, run, run for your life, run hard, you know? Well, I think what Miriam did was take this little basket with a three-month-old baby and put it in that basket with pitch and sets it right in the reeds just outside of where the Pharaoh's daughter was going to take her, her bath. And so she comes down there and she sees that and she sees, oh, there's that basket. And about that time, the baby starts to cry. Now, I don't know if it was my dad or somebody that told me that he thought that God pinched Moses. I'm not sure. But he cries just at the right time. And so the Pharaoh's daughter sends, if you read the passage, you read it, she, she sent her maid to go get it. She's not going to go all the way over there in that risky kind of place. She gets the maid. She looks at it and says, oh, it's a Hebrews boy. And she begins this plan when Miriam comes that way. Isn't that a pretty, you know what? I'm saying, if that's your plan, you are insane, aren't you? I mean, if that's the plan you come up with, you're out of your mind. That is my last plan. But you know what? There, she was... She was absolutely terrified, but at the same time, there's kind of a brilliance or a genius to that. And as she, she kind of hopes on the motherly instinct of this Pharaoh's daughter, and it works. Now, I'm sure God had a plan for that as well. He, had a, he was big, a big part of that to save Moses' life. Even when the baby cries, I think that's phenomenal. I want you to say, I want, I want you to say by this, as you look at this, this second big idea, I need to create a plan for my kids. You know, these are desperate times with desperate me measures. But you know what? There is a lion out there that's cunning that's going to seek to destroy your entire family. And you're, if you're oblivious to that, you don't know the wiles of Satan against your family. Am I correct on that? 
We need to develop a plan that God can work and do something amazing in our life. I'm surprised at how many people don't have plans. Uh, I, I put down several things here that I think could maybe give you a little help. Have, have your kids' lives revolve around your family. Eat together. Well, that's kind of novel. Maybe the last time you ate together was at McDonald's um, or in the car on the way back from Domino's or something. Why not? There's a, there's a thing in your house that's kind of like a table. Have you seen it? And you got like chairs around that table. We could do that instead of eating in front of the television. We could turn that off. Uh, there are all different ways and we could talk about what's, what's going on in our life. Um, our youngest daughter, Heather, was the baby and we... we uh, we started laughing and, and had this joke that was going on the table. And she's probably only five or six. She fell out of her chair. She was laughing so much. And we laughed at her and then she got her feelings hurt. Have you ever had situations like that happen in your family? It's hilarious. You're building identity as a family. Secondly, have their friends revolve around your family. Have those kids make your house the place where everybody hangs out. That way, you get to know what kind of friends your kids have. Get to know their parents. Ask them over. Be a neighbor to your neighbors. Get to know people in your neighborhood. Do you know that crime rate goes down 80% if you know the names of the people in your neighborhood? They watch out for you. They care for you. If you know your kids' parents, their friends' parents, it changes the way they react and, and act in, in front of you. And then... When they're out of your immediate care, put them in places that are going to benefit them. And I can just tell you, this is the best place. Every day, every Sunday, your kids need to be in church. This, this church, although they're not responsible to God for your kids, they want to help you raise your kids. I'm glad that my kids had good Christian kids in church to hang with. I need good Christian kid, parents, don't you? They kind of help me kind of get balance in my life. Is this the first time this has happened to you? No, it's not. And you can kind of interact and commiserate in your sorrow and pain and that kind of thing. Well, that's where this is at. And so invite them. Have the kids go to like the, the activity, the, the Sunday school class, just geared for them. Uh, put, your little, put your kids in, in, uh, in youth camp or... Uh, become a counselor in the youth ministry. Get involved in youth activities. Let your kids know that it's important for, for you and for them. I think this is one of the coolest things that happened. My kids, my kids are great parents. Uh, I've got a boy that's, that's 40 years old now and a daughter that's 34. Is that incredible how old our kids can get? I'm going to be old if I don't watch out. And Heather... Our youngest daughter took her six-year-old son and the two of them got on a bus and went to New York City for three days. Is that pretty incredible? I never would have thought of that. But she, when, they, when he was just a little kid bonding with him, you know, kids love their moms. It's just, it's, it's even, if, even if they're bad mothers, when that mom comes in the room, have you ever seen that happen? The kid's eyes light up. They want their parents to actually perform and be good parents. I think that's a great idea. That, you, know that, you know what that shows me? There's a plan. 
there's a desire to reach their kids and meet their kids. Now, I'm not saying that the whole world revolves around your kids. Please don't get that. I think that we need to direct our children and lead our children, amen? But being involved in their life. And what I'm seeing in the world that we live in is we go our way, they go their way. We all meet back up sometimes just about dark and go from there. That shouldn't be. Imagine this. You're having the most important dinner party of your life. A dozen of the most important people that you know are coming to your home tonight and it's your job to prepare the meal for them. What do you do? Well, there's one thing you don't do. It's serve them beanie weenies, right? I mean, you will plan this out and I'm not a, I love beanie weenies, but it's just not what you serve these important guests. You meticulously look at the plate and you say, okay, are all the colors there? Does it look appetizing, you know? Um, and you also don't try out new ideas. You don't just get on Pinterest and say, hey, that looked good, you know? I mean, that works for your family. But if you're going to do that, you're going to try it out in your family and then say it worked, right? Really, what you probably are going to do is you're going to go to the go-to recipe of the family, right? If you're Italian, you get grandma's homemade raviolis or chicken parm or some scenario like that chicken uh, fettuccine would that be are you getting hungry now so and one thing you don't do is you you don't substitute like if it says butter you don't put margarine on there you don't put crisco and for sure you don't you don't uh put in that kind of like i can't believe it's not butter stuff and you know you're, you're going to do exact. Well, why is it that we would go to that much effort to make the right impression one time and never give a thought about what we're doing with our kids? And, and here's the crazy things about this. Am I right about this, if the, those of you that are older? Every year, our kids change, and the game changes right in the middle. I mean, you had it going. You were in your sweet swing, and the ball was going 300 yards every time you hit it, and, you know, you're catching them on every cast, you know? And then all of a sudden, it's just, man, isn't it hard? And then your kids change, and you're, you've got different kids. I've got a daughter uh, and her husband. They're pastoring in the back bay. Thank you so much, Life Source Church, for, for uh, giving money to us. I think it was over $1,500 as Jerry came down here to preach one time. Um, thank you so much. Heather is so frugal. She's like us. She'll die with a million dollars. She just, she saves. She uses all the advantages. My oldest boy, he will die broke. Anybody here have kids like that? How'd they come out of the same gene pool? He's just frustrated. One kid almost raises himself. The other kid, oh my goodness, he's like every day just wears you out trying to figure out how to keep him from trashing his life. Am I right about that? How insane is that? And if you just let it happen, it will explode on you. Get a plan. Try to figure out something that's going to connect with Maybe it's that kid that's real quiet and he won't talk with everybody else in the room, but you just have to kind of take him out and get a peanut buster parfait and let, and when that happens, he'll just start talking. Heather was like that. She, we'd go to these meets with her and on the way back she'd just jabber 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 but with her brothers nope she's not saying anything Any, anybody have I mean just plan it out where can you meet your kids and where can you reach your kids man I'm telling you find something 
that you do and do that if it works, but realize it might change. Secondly, you'd say, well, I don't even know how to do that. Well, find somebody that's a good model. They've raised their kids, their kids are going to church, their kids have made it, and follow them. Somebody like Pastor Walt here and Glenda. Good people, aren't they? And their kids are in church, they're serving God. Find someone. Now, when you look for that mentor, that doesn't, they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be good parents. They might not be uh, somebody that you'd invest your money with, but you certainly know that they love their kids and they're doing a good job with that. Um, my last big idea here is God will do the rest. He has a purpose for your children. You could see God's fingerprints all over this story, couldn't you? And I'm, and I'm thinking here this morning that there are a lot of people out there that, man, you get up in the morning thinking, how can I help my kids find their way through this? You're, it's not like you're not trying, okay? But, and you might even have this plan, but could I just say, worry is a sin too. You got to give things over to Jesus. You got to do your best and stay, stay hooked up and involved and focused in their life. But when it comes to it, it's Jesus that did this, right? When it came to the bottom line of this, that baby crying, that, that idea that was in Jochebed and in Amram as he probably took the tar and put it all over that going like, are you serious, woman? You think this is going to work? You know, and you know, God had his fingerprints all over that. Leave things up to God to do. You know what that means is that God has to be a big part of your life. Bring your kids to church. Develop your own personal relationship with God. Make him your father. Believe that he died on the cross, was buried and rose again. Ask him into your life. Ask his Holy Spirit to lead your life. That's really where direct orders come from when the Spirit of God leads us. Uh, let me just kind of put my professor hat on. The, the Hebrew word for pitch is the word kofar. The, the pitch that was put around this little basket, it's the same word that's used for Noah's Ark. Did you know that? That they put that pitch in there. It, it was a waterproofing, obviously. And it's the same English word that is atonement. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It continues on through there and say much more. Now that we know him, we'll be saved by his life. Well, verse 11 says, um, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we've now received the atonement, the pitch that keeps the world from destroying us. Remember Joseph in the book of Genesis, in this scenario, it's just back a couple chapters. He's saying, uh, Moses, I mean, Joseph was one of these guys that was raised in the world's most dysfunctional family ever. He has stepbrothers. He has step-concubine brothers. He has concubine stepbrothers. And he has a brother. He has a mother, a stepmother, a step-concubine, and a concubine. That he, they're all giving him orders. They hated him, too. Can you imagine being raised in that family? And you thought your family was bad, right? In fact, his brother so hated him because God gave him this vision of what he was going to do, where they were going to all bow down. Remember, here comes the dreamer. They sell him off to the Midianites going to Egypt, and they think, there, 
that resolved that. But you know what? God had a plan. In fact, Joseph says at the end, whatever you meant for bad, God meant it for good. So even in the most dysfunctional plan, God can work a miracle. Anybody okay with that? I am really glad for that. How many of you have made bad mistakes? Don't raise your hand. Uh, And your family, and isn't that funny how your kids catch your bad mistakes quicker than they catch your good ones, your good ideals? Well, God was in the business of saving Israel. And he's at it again with Jochebed and Amram. And he gives us this story of Moses and what God was going to do through him. And God's going to do that for you as well. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your kid's life. Wherever he went, God was going to work there. Let's, this is probably the most difficult part of the story. She has Moses now for two or three years while she's nursing him. I don't know, maybe four. I doubt if it's five. But you read the last verse, didn't you? <laughs> This is where it really gets terrified. She takes that little boy and she gives him to Pharaoh's daughter to be her son. She lets him adopt him. And he's raised in Egypt with the finest education. Now, tradition says that Jochebed was allowed to kind of be the nanny. I don't know where that, I don't know if that's true, but I can tell you this. Somebody instilled in Moses' life that he was an Egyptian He was an Israeli. He was a Jew. And God was going to, and I think probably it could have very well been his mom. It could have been God. But God had a plan for his life, and God saw him through on that plan. And God will see in your life as well that plan. Someone was there to remind him that even though he was being raised in Pharaoh's house, he was not an Egyptian. Eventually, Jochebed took Pharaoh, uh, took Moses to Pharaoh. And I think she probably kept in touch with him, maybe every Mother's Day. I don't, I don't think that happened. But uh, eventually, God used Moses in a miraculous way. When Moses came of age, and that's what the third chapter of Exodus is about, eventually, Jochebed's son would walk into Pharaoh's court and demand, let my people go. He would have a staff in his hand that when he threw it down, it became a snake. And when he picked it back up, it would become a rod again. And his rod would eat the magician's snake. He would, he would cast ten plagues on Egypt, like flies that would overcome the land, or the Nile turned to blood, or frogs, or boils, or darkness, or grasshoppers, or livestock disease. And finally, the death of the firstborn, which is the longest... Uh, yearly remembered event in the history of man, what we call the Passover. Thousands, almost 4,500 years. Is that an amazing thing? Every year the Jewish race has been a value. I think it actually happened, don't you? If every year for 4,500 years they've been following that. He was the one that said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he took over a million people to the promised land. And he is the most quoted man in the New Testament, in fact, in the entire Bible. And the entire judicial system of the greatest land of the 21st century, the United States of America, uses the foundational principles of Moses. Aren't you glad Jochebed had a plan? 
Aren't you glad that she trusted in God? And you know what? While our kids will not be Moses, they will be what God intends them to be. It's our job to protect our kids, to get a plan and ask God to work in their lives. Can you do that? Can that be part of your year as a mom and even a dad to do that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, the band, you guys come on up. They're going to play um, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, if I remember correctly. I don't know which one of these kind of uh, is where you are. Have you just kind of been going with, with the flow? You know one of the great things about being a grandparent is that we can be a positive influence in our own kids' and our grandkids' lives. I love the station in life that I'm at. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. I, I have a plan to be that great, the best uncle I can possibly be to my, to my nieces and nephews. Maybe, maybe you just don't have a plan. Maybe these are desperate times for you. I don't know where you're at, but God does. And then are you really including God in your life. While our band is, is playing this song, I'm, I'm going to just leave some a word of prayer, and then I'm, I'm going to let the band play. And, uh, and then I'd like to ask you to just ask the, the Holy Spirit to direct your life and the changes that you need to make. Father God, we come to you right now knowing that you love us more than we could ever know. <sighs> There's a dangerous world for my kids and for my grandkids. And Lord, you, you know how I'm anxious about my oldest grandson graduating from high school, where he's going to end up in five years. These are so important days. I pray that you'd bring people into his life. I pray that I'd be a part of that. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, as well, that you would give us a plan in our lives. How can I reach this individual child with these unique gifts as you've made them? And then, Lord, I pray that in every part of my life that I would trust you to fulfill your plan for them life, in their life. Sometimes, Lord, it's not my plan, but it's your plan. And I pray that I would know your plan and not my plan. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. What a great truth, practical truths from the Word of God today. Thank you so much. All right, going to dismiss you. Have a great day. If you haven't taken that survey, we ask you to take it. Remember, you can take it out in the foyer, and we uh, love to see you at our prayer meeting Wednesday night, 745. Thank you. You're dismissed.